an opportunity for our families and our teams to do the most important project that we've done in our history, I, yeah, absolutely, we jump for it. This is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by Maine Biz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a business leader whose life was upended in one day and learn how they navigated their way back. If all great change is preceded by chaos, then this podcast series seeks to make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI, or Maine Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. As the CEO or owner of a small or mid-sized business in Maine, You've got the weight of the world on you. But what if you didn't have to go at it alone? What if you could journey with an elite team of peers who've got your back and an experienced guide who knows the lay of the land? With that level of support, how far could you go? For more than 60 years, Vistage, the world's leading executive coaching and peer advisory organization, has been helping leaders reach new heights. Learn more at Vistage.com. That's V-I-S-T-A-G-E.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Renee Cordes with the Maine Biz Podcast team, speaking today with Peter Michaud and Bill Rosvara, part of the development team for the Downs in Scarborough. They're here to talk about how, in the middle of a massive construction project at the mixed-use development, they quickly changed gears to transform a former harness racing grandstand into a high-volume COVID-19 vaccination clinic. And they accomplished that feat in under three weeks. That was in February, 2021 at the start of the vaccine rollout, making it possible for Maine Health to administer 87,000 doses at that facility by the time the clinic closed three months later. Let's now go behind the scenes to find out what happened at the Downs to build the clinic quickly. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us today. So first of all, can each of you introduce yourself and tell us what you do here in Maine? Peter, uh, would you like to start? Yes, that would be great. And, and thank you for having us. We very much appreciate the opportunity to, to do this with you, both Billy and I, and our team. So we are owners of the Crossroad Holding, which uh, is the holding company that holds the Downs. Again, thanks for having us. And I am Bill Risbera. Good. And and tell us about um, your respective companies, because I know you're both involved in, in family companies and wear a few different hats. Maybe tell us what each of you does and what role you're playing in uh, Crossroad Holdings and the Downs. Sure. So this is Peter. I we have um, we have several different companies. Some are a derivative of the Downs, such as MR Holdings. And then we have some other organizations such as Maine Properties or Risbera Brothers Construction that were in place before uh, the Downs was acquired uh, by our, our team at Crossroads Holdings. And the, these companies function both inside the Downs in its activity set and also outside the Downs with uh, other customer bases. And I would just say that between the companies, we have 130 um, great employees. Main Properties is a property management company that manages and maintains about 4,000 condominiums and about 1,200 apartment units, as well as it has a maintenance and construction division with a remodel division. It's uh, celebrating its 40th year this year, and Risbera Brothers Construction is celebrating its 54th year in business this year, and we're working in our fourth generation of uh, family in the business at this point in time. 
Right. I mean, these are both family businesses with uh, deep roots in Scarborough, and the two of you also go way back, I believe. So yeah, how long have you we're... known each other? Further than we'd like to disclose. <laughs> Since you were younger, much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we were... I had black hair and he had hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what is it about Scarborough that's kept you there and also continuing your family businesses? I think just our roots in the town of Scarborough. I mean, we love the town of Scarborough. It's been great to us. And uh, uh, it's, it's been a great opportunity to raise our families in. Peter? Yeah, it's, I think it's very important. Um, you know, not a lot of folks are, are blessed with the opportunity to be able to raise their families uh, in the same town that they were raised in. And um, we count our blessings over that. That's a very fortunate situation. So it's, it's kind of an opportunity we had uh, and we have. And quite frankly, I hope that we're blessed so our grandkids can be raised here as well. Let's now talk about Crossroads Holding, a venture of um, five of you, five, two sets of brothers formed in 2018 to buy a sizable piece of land, shall we say, in Scarborough. Uh, so thinking back to that time, what inspired you to make that move? So we had, um, we were looking for additional real estate investments uh, at the time. We had just, were building apartments. I believe we were up to about 400 new market rate apartment buildings that we were building between uh, Westbrook, South Poland, and uh, one in Scarborough. And the interest in the downs, it really became available. It had been for sale uh, and been under contract 15 times in 17 years. Most of those agreements were put and based around having gambling, uh, some sort of uh, gambling licenses be kind of the driver of the transaction. When it became available, we looked at it and uh, we thought, wow, that's a that's one big transaction, a lot of land. And we're talking, just so our listeners know, 525 some acres. I mean, that's huge. That's right. Yeah, 525 plus or minus is, is correct. Yeah. And it's right in the geographic center of the town we love, Scarborough. So it's just a great fit. But essentially, when we did our due diligence, we concluded that the Downs had been under contract for lots of millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars, where we were able to acquire it in the price range we thought we could do, became manageable uh, as it related to, you know, as we, as we went through our due diligence. And the most important part that struck us was not just the price, because it was still a, a lot of money for a raw acre, but the zoning of the project uh, became very liberated. And what I mean by that is the town of Scarborough, through their comprehensive plan, deemed that piece of property as a high growth area. And it's called a Crossroads Plan District, uh, CPD. With that, zoning and, and permittable uses being liberated, we decided it was a, a terrific deal and uh, obviously struck when we could. And, um, and, and just to paint the picture um, for our listeners, that land also included this, the, heart, the old Scarborough Downs harness racing track that's um, been around for, for 70 years. That was on the property and the rest of it was basically just empty land. Yes, that's correct. The, the way we, the way, and that, that's an important point to point out, you know, we, we would have not have been successful acquiring the Downs without um, the relationship that we were able to forge with the Terry family. Who owned and operated the, the track yeah, for they were the, years. They, they, they were the operators of the harness racing for all those years. And 
the the point there is that they you know harness racing was important to them we understood that um, it's important to all of the harness racing families and farms that are attached to that and essentially sure. what we said was look we, we get the history here we're not going to come in and bother your your harness racing operations uh we're going to acquire everything and all assets that go with it yet we're going to let you be stay here and work through a transition period. When we were looking at two years, it turned out to be three, which was fine mm-hmm. by us. The goal there was to relocate all of the families and harness racing uh, constituents in a place where they could continue their businesses as we continue developing toward the track. Due to uh, everybody's integrity and uh, in, in, a, in a good way, we executed that plan rather well. Good. Now tell us a little bit about your, your plan, uh, you know, to turn this huge piece of land into what you call a live work play community. First, just sketch out briefly the plan, the vision. Yeah, I think the, um, with regards to the overall plan, you know, the route one end is uh, suited better for residential. The Payne road end was suited better for light industrial and the Hygis Parkway will have an entrance off Hygis Parkway. And that was better suited to the downtown and they'll all connect. I do believe over a course of time, there'll be around 2,500 dwelling units and a couple million square feet of uh, commercial space, be it light industrial, uh, downtown, mixed use, uh, class A, recreation, uh, many things. But it, but it is a long involved process, uh, yeah. you know, meetings with the town and presumably pub- public input as well. So the permitting for this project and the master planning level um, has never been done in the town of Scarborough. So the the whole approach was different for, or new, excuse me, for everybody, including us. So in a way, I mean, we weren't alone with taking a project of this size and being new. Uh, the town was also, so we kind of, you know, we, we collaborated, we worked together. It was just a tremendous effort. In some cases, we we're both learning. In some cases, one party would be learning, the other wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> But everybody had the same goal, and that was to, to get a plan that we thought would work for the community uh, and the surrounding community, and quite frankly, most importantly, the families here in town. And there also wasn't a playbook you could follow, right? Because, you know, this was unprecedented. It was, you know, something brand new. So what was there any sort of, did you learn as you went? Oh, no, we, we made it up as we went. <laughs> no, the only playbook, seriously, would be the, the zoning requirements uh, under the Crossroad Plan District. Okay. Um, you know, it, and there is a, uh, a very serious playbook there that we, we uh, heard. But, you know, we're, we're fortunate. We have really good people, uh, team members that are, you know, have uh, significant depth in these areas. Uh, so it's just a matter of, breaking this up, breaking the project up and, and kind of being a, initially on the, on the master plan across the whole 525 plus acres, being kind of an inch deep and a mile wide when we looked at it that way. And then when we get into a specific area, Mm -hmm. a residential subdivision or innovation district, that's when we shift gears and we go a, a mile deep and an inch wide. And then um, you mentioned the the town center and the um, the track and the grandstand. How does that's where the town's future town center will be, and how does it sort of fit into the future? So, so Renee, the the town center, you know, first of all, I'd, I'd say that 
you know, Scarborough. And right now Scarborough has no town that's center right. as such, Thank right? You. So that's, right. that's exactly that's exactly correct. You know, Scarborough as it as it grew, you know, I'd say its most or its closest kind of town center would be Oak Hill. And that's simply because there's a, a major intersection there and okay. the campus is there and the athletic fields are there. But as the town needs to grow, it's going to need to do additional things with those athletic fields to accommodate schools and so on. Mm-hmm. So the need, the need for a town center was so has certainly been talked about for you know eight or nine years within you know the town uh, planning board and council and so on. And that's one of the reasons why this zone, this CPD zone, was put in place to be able to afford the density that comes with a town center. So this is really planned. The the debate uh, to add to that, the debate we've had internally with full transparency is what do we do with the grandstands? Mm-hmm. A really old building. It's very obviously uniquely designed. Right. For, it has a lot of history. Yeah, tremendous. And our conclusion is our conclusion is we're going to try to have the grandstand building kind of be the heartbeat of the downtown and bring some authenticity to the project where there's some history there that is maintained. As we were saying, the track has a lot of history and and the building was, I I was actually there on the last day of racing last November was very sort of emotional thing. People coming back who had remembered it from their childhoods and so forth. And then after that, I think the building was just empty for a while, right? And while you guys were constructing houses nearby. Yeah, that's correct. The the building was vacated in December. Okay. 2020. So now let's get to the start of this year, January 2021. Pandemic was raging. One could say the nationwide vaccine rollout was kind of slow um, getting started, you know, and clinics were needed to, to get vaccines to people. And Peter, I believe you then got a call from, I believe, your real estate broker for the innovation district at the Downs. Tell us about that call. Sometimes you do business with folks that have big ideas, and we like doing business with folks that have big <laughs> ideas. So in comes the call from Drew Sigmarsson at Bullis. And tell us what what Bullis, uh, what was your business relationship with with the Bullis? Uh, Bullis is our commercial broker representing us to all of our clients at the Downs. So they're our, our commercial broker at the Downs. Okay. So Drew's a big idea guy. He calls. He says, "Hey." I learned that Maine Health is looking for, you know, a site for max vaccination. What do you think about the grandstand? I think I was silent for three or four minutes. (laughs) Were you shocked? Uh, Yeah. And I thought, well, under these conditions, in these times, I think we can leave no stone unturned. So he really created the idea and then drew uh, made the contact uh, or followed up and said, you know, something we consider. So what happened next? You then talked to Bill and your other business partners or what, what happened next after you get this call from Drew and this idea is, is going through your head? About a day, maybe the weekend, maybe two or three days after, I got a phone call or Billy might have received the phone call that Maine Health want to look at the building itself. Okay. Then we knew it was getting real in terms of, uh, you know, they want to look at the building. I believe Billy here arranged for them to uh, get into the building and so on. And they thought, um, well, heck, this could work. So I received a phone call back 
saying, gee, we're, we're interested. Could you make this happen? That's when I immediately called Bill Risberry here. <laughs> okay. I, of course, I said, sure, we can make that happen. <laughs> but let me just check with one guy. Bill, well, tell me what, what was your reaction when, when you got the call from Peter? Well, he had given me a heads up that they were going to go look at the building and that they okay. made interested in it. My initial thought was, wow, how are we going to make that happen? Uh, but then, you know, what came about was we need to make that happen uh, no matter what. And so to Peter's point, they did call. They did say that they wanted it. So I immediately started thinking about all the things. I mean, I knew the building, but I didn't know it as, as well as I do today. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and so I was thinking of all the things that would take the longest lead time. Uh, that I knew needed to get taken care of. We agreed to meet with them. To Peter's point, we, we flew in on Monday, got our tests done, and on Tuesday morning at 9 o'clock, we met the main health team on site. And I think for the most part, I mean, it was like a team of eight, eight of their people. And, and their emergency management team, they're great, great people, very smart. And uh, we walked through, but even they were in awe. I mean, you got you an empty 40,000-square-foot building, blank canvas that literally needs everything. No small task. <laughs> Exactly. And so before we get into uh, the details of this, this you were still managing construction at the Downs. So why not take on another gargantuan task, right? In addition to all of that. Well, an, an opportunity for our families and our teams to do the most important project that we've done in our history. I, yeah, absolutely. We jump for it. Great. So we are now going to pause for a very short break to hear from one of our sponsors, and then we'll continue and hear what happened next and how you guys shifted gears very quickly. Mainers have an unrivaled work ethic, an endless supply of ideas, a boundless energy to create, and the perseverance to not say it's done until it's done better than it was before. Which is why the Maine Technology Institute was created to support, nurture, and invest in those qualities, and make Maine a place where ideas and people can thrive. To see how MTI supports innovation, go to maintechnology.org. That's maintechnology.org. There was just this real commutative feel. People knew that if we could stand up that center and get the vaccine, that we could make a difference in the numbers. We are back talking to Peter Michaud and uh, Bill Risbara. And we were just uh, talking about January 2021. There's construction going on at the Downs. You guys get this call um, and uh, request. <laughs> to uh, turn the old MT harness racing grandstand into a temporary vaccination clinic when the pandemic is still very much uh, with us. So, and as Bill, you were saying, this was a huge building, not in the greatest condition, not the most modern building. So for people who've never been there are not familiar with us, can you paint a picture, describe the building? Well, it's a, it's a huge 40,000 square foot on one floor a grandstand with the bleachers up top. It's like 65 feet tall. It had roof leaks. The windows were leaking. I mean, it's 65 years old and right. uh, there hasn't been a lot of money that spent in it over the years. Not very brightly lit or... Um, yes. Ceiling inviting, tiles. is it fair to Ce say? Ceiling tiles were bad. The lighting was bad. Electrical was bad. The bathrooms weren't... You, you wouldn't really want anybody to go in them. <laughs> And you um, decided to, you know, take this on and turn it into a, a modern vaccination clinic. So, so tell us how you sort of the first steps in that. How long did it take you guys to come up with, you know, a plan 
So because you did not have the luxury of time. We did not have luxury of time. Once we knew that we were committing to it and we were meeting the team on Tuesday, I started thinking about all the long lead tie-down items, such as the roof leaks, the window leaks, the electrical, things of that nature. And I started giving some of our teams a heads up that I'd be coming home and that would be meeting with that team on Tuesday, but I'd probably want to meet with some people by Tuesday afternoon. And so we did do the walkthrough with the main health team on Tuesday, and they had committed to get back to us the next morning with a scope. However, there was already a scope that we needed to do. We needed to, we needed to get the roof tight. We needed to get the windows tight. We needed to take all the old ceiling tiles out. We needed to do the demo of, of, of the things that have been in the building for 60 years. We needed to clean the space out to get it ready to move forward. So we went backwards for a couple of days in order mm-hmm. to move the building forward. And the list sounds like it was hugely long of, of everything that had to go into this. Well, and again, it was, it was new to them on Tuesday. So even though that team is excellent and knew what they needed to do for a vaccine center, it, they didn't know specifically what had to happen in that building. So yes, they were continuing. I think I had a couple hundred emails in 10 days and uh, basically met with that team almost every morning uh, during the 15 days that we were there. But uh, you know, they, they would give me the parameters of what they were trying to achieve but they allowed us the ability to use our minds on how to get it done and get it time, done on the time frame that needed to get done. And this was unlike any other project you've done. I mean, you, you guys have done mostly residential, um, I believe, so. Well, we do commercial construction, but typically you have plans and specifications and, and it, let's just say a renovation would be on a newer building, nothing that's 65 years old and, right. and nothing that is um, anything like this grandstand. I agree and you that. must have learned a lot along the way about you know, healthcare and, and, and medical facilities and things like that. They definitely have some nuances that, uh, that uh, are specific to them. And yes, we did learn them. And, and the one thing that we did do is get introduced to their teams very quickly. Fortunately, some of the subcontractors they use, we use on some of our commercial sites anyways. So we okay. and it was just a matter of pulling out together. Great. And I know, you know, as I was saying, time was of the essence, you know, to get these clinic, you know, such a clinic up. Did Main Health like give you a deadline for when they needed this by, or you know, was that something that you negotiated? Like, what was realistic for you guys to do? How did you figure out the sort of the time frame for completing? On the initial, on the initial meeting, they said, "Do you think it's possible that we can be putting shots in arms on February first? And I said, and "How many do you need on your end to get you set up after we finish the interior?" And they said three to five. And we said, yes. And you were confident uh, that you could do that? I got com- more confident each day. Okay. <laughs> Good. So um, now a bit like more detail about what you had to do. So first of all, what did you have to take out of the building? Well, as you can imagine, the grandstand was uh, in December. They still had live uh, racing. I th- you said you were there. So I mean, yes, were- I think November tw- 28th was the last day, something like that. Yeah. Chairs, tables, memorabilia, 600 TVs that were all over the place. Just a, just a number of things that had to come out. Uh, as I said, the ceiling tiles all had to come out. There's 5,000 ceiling tiles that came out and went back in. Wow. So. And I think the, uh, the floor was in pretty decent shape because I think you didn't have to do anything to the floor, that vintage red floor with some of the old logos and... Yeah, I think Main, Main Health loved the, the theme that was there and they wanted us to try to keep as much of the theme as we possibly could. So they liked the floor. There was a logo of the, of the horses on the floor. 
in one area, there was actually an awning that had uh, an ice cream, where the ice cream stand used to be. Oh. Uh, and so they wanted that to be left there. That so stayed? <laughs> that off and, and got it cleaned and put it back up for them. And we turned uh, uh, another area uh, into the pharmacy that had some memorabilia in it as well. Cool. Tell us about then what you had to bring in, what you had to install. It wasn't just a matter of bringing in some furniture. I mean, there was a lot that it involved, right, Bill? No, again, we had we had demolition that had to be done, which was the old ceiling tiles, the, the, the TVs, of, of, uh, some temporary walls. I believe you also had to get um, fiber active, uh, fiber optic, sorry, yeah, fiber so, optic so, lines and for high speed internet installs. So they needed communications. So again, yes, we, we ended up, so we pulled out the things that we pulled out. We had to pull apart a bunch of the uh, power and cable, but then again, we had to run a brand new fiber optic line uh, into the building. And we ran about 12 miles of power and data cabling brand new inside. Mm -hmm. the building. Again, 5,000 ceiling tiles out, painted all the ceiling grid, 5,000 ceiling tiles in, removed wow. a bunch of old lighting, installed uh, a ton of new lighting. We built different rooms for them, specific rooms for them. We had mm -hmm. a employee lounge. Uh, we renovated the uh, men and women's rooms. We created a reception area. We created a checkout area. And also didn't you install, what about ventilation? So we also, we put in uh, 12 brand new gas fired heating units to the space. Uh, again, plumbing to the bathrooms. Okay. And um, cold storage rooms, I think too, because the vaccine needed to be stored at a certain temperature. Is well, actually right? they brought one of the refrigerators that did a 50 below and we installed that in an ah, area okay. that was uh, safe and locked up, yes. Okay, were, were there any, did you have any trouble getting any materials or supplies that you needed? We actually, so, we, so for the roofing, we ended up sending crews to New Hampshire to get the roofing that we needed in the time frame that we needed it. Pine State Plumbing and Heating sent people in New York to grab the heating units. Canco sent people to Carolinas to get us enough ceiling tile to do the space. Um, so people did whatever it took. And I'll have to tell you that the, the substance suppliers went ab ab above and beyond and they were all excited about the project. They all wanted to be part of it. There was no whining that went on. Everybody did what they had to do to make it happen. And I think there were, I mean, it wasn't just you guys working on this. You, something like over 40, companies um, who worked on this with you, um, yeah, all, all based in Maine or many of them based in Maine? Yeah, there were 41 subcontractors and suppliers that were involved in this over a 15 day time frame, And people like Hancock Lumber, who was able to get hiding door and window to shut their line down one day, just to make the specific doors that we needed for the project. Things wow. like that happened all the time. And did you, um, did you have to take anyone off of some of the construction going out at the downs? to work on this urgent project? We did, but I tried to leave them intact as much as possible because we had deadlines. Essentially everything was under contract that we had at the downs and we had deadlines on that too. So we tried to leave them when they could. Usually they'd be okay. the day or they'd come work with us on Saturdays and Sundays is what they would do. Okay. And I know uh, that, you know, people were working on this, you know, seven days a week, right? For, for a couple of weeks. And how did you make sure that people didn't, burnout and you know they they stayed healthy as as they were pouring you know their heart and hearts into this i think i mean for the most part people were pumped up and a 15-day run seven days a week is really not that big of a deal um when you don't do it all the time and were, were they working in shifts too or 
No, primarily it was, it was, you know, standard come in six o'clock in the morning and you were out of there, you know, eight, nine o'clock at night. Okay. Renee, my, my perspective on that, this is Peter, is a, is a bit different in the sense that, you know, what, what Billy couldn't see because he was in the middle of it all was, I'll tell you why they worked there so hard. He was there himself. You know, you lead by example. And he did that really, really well. Um, and we, we clearly um, couldn't have done it without that kind of attitude. I mean, we, we saw folks being dropped off by their or bringing their kids by to say hello because they hadn't they hadn't seen them or they were going to bed at night or, you know, there was just this real community feel. Mm -hmm. um, people knew that if we could stand up that center and get the vaccine that we could make a difference in the numbers. Did everything go 100% smoothly and as planned or? <laughs> no, there, you know, we, we started by thinking that we could replace some ceiling tiles and paint some ceiling tiles and that didn't end up working out very well. There, there were things like that. So and there's we, a, we more built, to we it. Things, we built some things and they came back and said, you know, that's not going to work. Okay. Uh, then, you know, they, they'd come in and say, you know what, we need an ambulatory center. We need a place where the ambulance can pick somebody up if somebody has an allergic reaction. You know, so we had a glass company make us airlocks so that we could do that. Okay. So, so you certainly learned a lot about um, healthcare. And I think this was one of the largest vaccine clinics in the end in Maine. Oh, for sure. You both of you were, were you? Were you both there the day that the, the clinic opened? I mean, it was uh, a pretty big deal when the clinic opened and they gave their first shot. Were the two of you present? Yeah, yes. the clinic did open on uh, February 1st. Yeah. Tell yeah. us what that day was like. What was it like being there? Oh, it was, uh, it was incredible. The presence of some of the recipients of shots, you know, when they, when they come in there and looked around and, and folks were showing up, um, you know, folks that needed shots that were scheduled, they were showing up right. a half an hour to 45 minutes early because they didn't want to miss their opportunity. So the, the excitement and the sense of, you know, accomplishment was just terrific. It was very, very uh, noticeable on everybody's front, not just us. Uh, but for us, we were certainly proud of what everybody did and you know, uh, a, a little to Bill's point, we never really breathed a, a big sigh of relief because we wanted to be sure that the facility was going to be able to function and, and execute, you know, the plan that Maine Health had and make sure that the um, all of the vaccines that were available um, would be able to get put be put to use. I mean, that's the, the, the trick of it, uh, the shelf life associated with that uh, product. Sure. And, and Bill, you were there on that day too. What was going through your head or at that time? I think just proud, just proud for everybody that had worked there and done the job and made it happen. And uh, I, I've seen the time-lapse uh, video. We may be able to include a link to that. Fascinating stuff. So uh, the place didn't look like the old grandstand. I mean, you it was really a transformation. Did you make regular visits while the vaccine clinic was in operation? Um, you know, was there like any any maintenance to do or any troubleshooting? We had main properties and their maintenance division manage, you know, the day to day so that if something went wrong, um, for example, a power outage or anything like that, um, we did have generator backup for them. Kind of had to be medical grade where it couldn't go down. Okay. But if there was any 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 issues, uh, they relied on that team, you know, to buoy them up. 
and then on the construction side. Yeah, no, we were just there. I mean, I think, think in the first week we had a, a couple little issues that we were able to run in and, and take care of for them. But again, to the point, main properties. I mean, the biggest thing that I think that uh, that we did was we had a cleaning company who did deep cleans every night. The main properties manage those guys. Could I ask if if you or any of your family members or people that you knew got your vaccinations there? I got both my shots there. And what was that like? That must have been thought, kind of surreal. I thought it was pretty slick. You know, you 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 walked up. The National Guard uh, greeted you at the door. They uh, sent you into the front room with other National Guard people who gave you a clipboard. You filled out the information on the clipboard. And when you were done, you handed that off to them. You walked up into uh, uh, the end where they checked you in. Right. Um, one of the volunteers from either Unum or Rex, whoever it was, would bring you down to where you're supposed to get your vaccine. You'd get your vaccine. Another volunteer would bring you to uh, the uh, area where you waited. And you checked out and, and you went out. And I think from the time that I got there to the time that I left, including my 15-minute wait, it was like 20 minutes. Right. And it, it must have been, a you know, a very special and meaningful to be there, you know, after having, you know, made uh, this vaccination clinic a reality that that's where you got your shot. It, it felt great to be there, to look around, to see the people getting their shots, to see people talking back and forth about how nice it is to get the shots and what a great experience that they had there. I didn't hear, I've not heard anything of any bad experiences with that vaccine center. Renee, I, I have to say, I, I have hundreds of texts yeah. <laughs> and hundreds of emails from folks that we know personally uh, and families we know personally thanking us. That came personally to, to me yeah. and Bill had the same experience. Yes. I think that says it all. So now the, the, you know, the building is empty again, it's not being used. So what future purpose will it serve just to revisit that and close the loop on that? Sure. So the, there's a variety of things that have potential for the building, but just generally speaking, there's a lot of interest in it, but generally speaking, the, the, the functionality of that building in its future, we're not necessarily going to be reacting to a post-pandemic opening of the building because it was vacant before. Sure. We're going to be more thoughtful about how the building uh, is incorporated in the downtown area. So that might take some time. With that said, though, one thought that we have is this might have some community benefits uh, mm -hmm. for, the, for the town of Scarborough or the greater community. It could also act as um, uh, some potential amenities for the residents that are there. So we may see a, 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 a two-phased approach on that building that uh, allows us to serve our residents that are in the area and maybe even uh, the greater community. Nice. Okay, so now gentlemen, we're gonna take a, another very brief break and then we will wrap this up with some of the lessons learned. This is Jennifer Cook of Norway Savings Asset Management Group. Here, we believe in family asset management. Simply put, it means we do right by you and your loved ones. And it's not necessarily the size of the portfolio we care about. It's the story behind it. A story that's unique to you. Let us help you write your next chapter. For more information, visit norwaysavings.bank. Investment products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed by the bank, and may lose value. Sometimes it takes something like this to see the depth of the various folks that impacted the outcome of this project. We are back talking to Peter and Bill. 
So as far as this whole experience is concerned, putting up a vaccination clinic in the old um, harness racing grandstand, the pretty, pretty huge uh, project to undertake uh, during a pandemic. And while, you know, you have other construction going on, what, what lessons would you say each of you drew from this, you know, experience and going forward? For me, Renee, this is Peter. I think, um, I don't know if it's a lesson, but it's certainly an observation. The depth of our teams and the compassion of the folks uh, that work with us every day. Um, sometimes it takes something like this to see the depth of the various folks that impacted the outcome of this project. Uh, uh, major observation. And I, I think from a, from a learning point of view, I think that our supply chains and the ability to have those as close as we can for reaction purposes is something that we need to be confident of in the future that we keep things close and keep materials close. And Bill? Yeah, I would, I would echo that. And essentially, basically, um, you know, can't is not a word. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, what about also the personal reward of doing something for a community that you know, you, you've spent your whole lives in it. That must have been very, very meaningful part of it. I'd do it again tomorrow. I would do it again tomorrow. Anything that you would do differently <laughs> now that you're experienced in this? Hard to say. Uh, I don't think so. I, I think, you know, do something different differently. I don't, I don't think you can Monday morning quarterback a situation like this. Uh, sure. You know, there, there are, there's probably a lot of things, but I think the spirit of the collected efforts override any kind of lessons learned, you know? Sure. I, I, I mean, I would say, how do you access that level of spirit in a day-to-day basis that we got in such a, an odd time in society might be a, I hate to answer a question with a question, but I, I do, when I think about this event and I think about day-to-day business, it's how do you access that level of energy that we got, uh, we're able to deploy in this. Uh, I, I question myself on that every day and, and need to continue to work toward being able to do that. Yeah, I think uh, just, you know, working with the team from Maine Health, playing off their enthusiasm, mm-hmm. uh, trying to support them, you know, we're extremely proud of that. They actually, um, that, that team got together and they actually, uh, we, did, we did time capsule at the Downs. So oh, did you? We made a time capsule. We what did you put in it? Oh, they put they put all kinds of things in it. They put some masks in it. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I saw some notes. Yeah. And when when will it be uncovered? The time capsule? I don't think they had a plan yet at this point in time. But they, what they wanted to do was to, just to know that it got buried on site, and so we have a, a nice spot at the downs. Nice. By a nicely landscaped area, and it's under a concrete pad. Uh, under a park bench. Right, and and did each of you put anything in there to represent yourselves, or? Yeah, they took my notes when I spoke at it, and, <laughs> and which said a lot of good things uh, about people, which is good because I had it written down. There was no bad things, just for the record. And they took it and they put it in a time capsule. Uh, oh, great, great. That was surprising to me. I wasn't planning on that. Well, all. maybe one day your your grandchildren will be there when they remove Hopefully. the time capsule or, or your great-grandchildren. Hopefully. The Day That Changed Everything is a production of Maine Biz. Find out more about this podcast and other Maine Biz media products at mainebiz.biz. 
The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI, or Maine Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. The Maine Biz podcast team includes Donna Broussard, Allison Nason, Renee Cordes, Maureen Milliken, Will Hall, and Andrea Tetzlaff. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedenka. Logo and marketing designer is Matt Selva. Subscribe at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Copyright 2021.